0: barber, aren't we? I mean, it could have been me up there playing gang, you know. (laughs) First of all, I want to say, where does Mark Cox come off of setting who can give and who can't give, (laughs) you know? If I want to put all my uh, Lottie Moon offering and one dollar bills and stick it at the bottom of my pot, how will he ever know, huh? (laughs) In fact, I have a friend who, uh, Gave me $500 for Lottie Moon. This was before this crazy thing started. Gave me $500 for Lottie Moon, and so I just gave it to Kathy to put it in the Lottie Moon offering. And then when this thing came about, I went into Kathy and said, hold that money. I, uh, I, might, I might need that money. So uh, our goal this year is $40,000. We were right at that last year. And so before I begin my message, I want to ask you to do what, what my wife and I do. Our biggest and our best Christmas present goes to Jesus Christ through the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. And I can stand before you and say, uh, without any kind of intimidation at all, dig, dig deep. Because it goes for the gospel of the Lord Jesus to help our missionaries share the gospel of the Lord Jesus. If you want to do it in memory of someone, you do that. If you want to do it in honor of someone, you do it. My call to you is do it, because only in eternity. You know, so much of what we do in the kingdom of God is really not seen anyway. Isn't that right? The money we give, the calls we make, uh, most of, much of what we do in our church really is unseen here, but it's not seen up there. And so there will be a day yet to come when the full expression of the ministry of Indian Springs Baptist Church will be seen in much of the Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong and, and the other offerings we take, we may not realize on this side of eternity, um, but we will on the other side. And there may be somebody in eternity where God says, See, because you gave your hundred or you gave your twenty-five or you gave your five thousand, whatever it may be, this person was brought into the kingdom. So I would encourage you to do that. Well, I'm glad that you're here um, let me tell you where I'm at. I, in praying for these next three or four weeks in the life of our church, I, uh, I really felt God's impression to talk about grace. And I want us to begin together in Psalm 19. I hope you have your Bible, and, and if you would, go to Psalm 19. We're going to call it the explosion of grace. I'll explain that to you in just a little bit. Let me tell you what my idea was. My thought was that on this kickoff Sunday, For Christmas, I would take Psalm 19 and go through the entire psalm. And then next week, Mark would come, and Mark would teach on an aspect of grace. But i got to tell you, gang, and I'm a little emotional over this, and so I may get some teary-eyed through it, Psalm 19 um, has just captured my heart. Now, I've read it before. You have, I'm sure. Uh, I've actually preached uh, different times in my ministry, Psalm 19. I don't know that it's ever really captured my heart like it has this time. And so as I began to study, as I began to work through the passage, I began to realize that I am Mark's boss, and so I'm bumping him. And we're going to spend the next two weeks in Psalm 19, and I want to encourage you. I know you're busy. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of pressure this time of year, but I'm glad that you're here. And I want to encourage you uh, to be sure that you don't go somewhere else or do something else next Sunday because you need to be here by that. Okay, I'm going to be talking this morning and next week on the subject, the explosion of grace, and I think I probably need to explain that to you. Okay, One of the things that I've always had trouble getting my head around, um, one of the things I've had trouble understanding in my heart about the work of God is this. Why would God reveal Himself to us? Think about that. Theologians call it self-disclosure. Why would God self-disclose or why would God reveal Himself to mankind? If you've studied the doctrine of God at all, our preteens could probably help you because we've been teaching them doctrines. But the doctrine of God teaches us, doesn't it, that God is self-sufficient. You believe that? That there's nothing lacking with God. That means that God is not a lonely God needing man to fill up a hole or something lacking in his heart. The doctrine of God, the self-sufficiency of God, tells us that God is not a weak God, needing man to help him do his will, or needing man to help him do his work. Furthermore, as you study the, doctrines and the doctrine of man, it teaches us that there is nothing in man that would allow man to seek after God nor there is there anything in man that would help man come to understand a transcendent God. Some theologians like to say that, that God is wholly other. And what they mean by that is that, that that man has an inability to approach, and that man has an inability to understand Almighty God. In many aspects, gang, God is incomprehensible. And that means that finite man can never fully understand, fully come to terms with an infinite, holy, righteous God. So it is only in what God allows us to know about Him gives us some knowledge of Him. You understand that? Our religion, our Christianity is a self, Revelation religion. Now what that means is the only capacity we have and the only ability we have to even comprehend in some respects God or come to understand God in any small measure is because God in His infinite wisdom, God in His sovereign choice decided to reveal or what theologians say, self-disclose himself to us. Only Christianity has it. No other religion does that. It separates us. That's why Christmas is about grace, because the only way you can explain that, why would God do that? The only explanation is grace. And that's what Christmas is all about, isn't it? God self disclosed himself to us in a very strange way, would you agree? A holy, righteous, transcendent God wearing diapers? A holy, righteous, transcendent God being born in a stinky, smelly, manure-filled stable. A holy, righteous God going through puberty. That's God disclosing Himself. That's God revealing Himself to us. And the question that, that begs to be answered and the question I don't think I really can real well is simply because of grace. And Then how do you describe grace? And that was my tension. I don't know that I can. I don't know that the deepest of theologians can really stand before a group of people and say, okay, Here is grace, here's how you define it, and here's how you apply it. You see, I really think that grace is not something that you can explain. Grace is something that you experience. And oh, dear people, when you experience grace, it changes everything in your life. Grace is staggering. But I'm going to feebly try for a moment to explain grace to you. And I'm going to put some things on the screen that maybe you can chew on. First of all is this. Grace is what gives to those who don't deserve anything. Grace is what gives to those who don't deserve anything. Grace is the initiative of God. That's what's so hard to get my head around and should be hard for us to get our heads around. Grace is the initiative of God because of no reason other than his own choice to self-disclose, to, to give us something. Oh, dear people, that we don't even come close to deserving. It's his sovereign decision that we can who, a God who can never be fully comprehended somehow allows us to gain some measure of understanding of him and to have an eternal relationship with Him. Grace is an act of God exposing Himself to man so that man may gain back what was lost in the garden and because of that live forever. And yet this self-disclosure by God was not based on, on, based on any weakness of God. Nor was it based on any moral quality or good deed of man. It was simply based upon the activity and the choice of God. And dear people, I think maybe we don't chew on that enough. Or that maybe we as pastors fail to push it enough. We get so caught up in this wonderful season of the year that we fail to appropriate it enough that God just did this because he decided to do it. And if you can somehow comprehend that, at least in some measure comprehend that, then you're not going to get caught up in all of the season and the pressures of the season or the disappointments of the season. You'll get caught up in the worship of the season. That God gave us a picture, an intimate portrayal of himself for us to somehow grasp and measure him. And I want to say to you, that's an explosion of grace. That's the explosion of God upon mankind. And it ought to affect everything in your life. So, frankly, I'm not sure that any person, even the deepest theologian, can answer why. Now, the second question will come up. Then, Well, then, how does he do it? And I believe I can answer that from Scripture. And that's what we're going to be doing over the next two weeks. How can he do it? Psalm 19 tells us. Let me give you a little introduction before we read the first few verses, okay? Psalm 19 speaks to us in two ways, okay? God speaks to us, first of all, in the first six verses, in what we are going to call general revelation, or some would call it common grace, okay? He's going to speak to us in the last verses, in the Word of God, or what is called specific or special revelation. So what we're going to see over the next two weeks is, first of all, God's going to speak to us in the stars. And then next week, we're going to see that God's going to speak to us in the Scriptures. Today, we're going to see that God speaks to us in the world. Next week, we're going to see that God speaks to us in the Word. He'll speak generally to all people called common grace, which makes all people accountable. I'll come back to that, okay? And then he speaks to his chosen ones through Scripture, saving the soul, which is called special, or specific grace. Let me give you a verse in Deuteronomy, and then we'll read Psalm, okay? Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. Emil Kant, a preacher, philosopher, writer years ago, said, two things fill the mind with ever new and increasing wonder and awe, the starry sky above me and the moral law within me. That is what Psalm 19 is. Okay, Let's stand in honor of God's word. I want us to read The first six verses, you'll notice verse 7. We'll deal with this next week. He starts talking about the law, which is specific, okay? Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech. Night to night reveals what, gang? Woe, that's what grabbed me. Feast on that. Reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run its course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden. Did you catch that? Nothing hidden from its heat. Father, help me to contain my emotions as we somehow grapple with the fact that you chose to show yourself To all the world, so therefore all the world is responsible. Help me to share that in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, be seated. I don't know if you're a note taker or an outline maker or if you're a Bible scribbler, okay? But if you are, let me kind of give you an outline or you can draw underneath, circle some things if you would. Verses 1 through 6, which is our assignment as I said today, is God speaking in the sky. Therefore, that means that it is God speaking to every creature who has ever lived and who will ever live on this earth, okay? That means those in the remotest parts of Africa or Australia or India that have never heard the name of Jesus, all they've got to do is look up and the the knowledge of God is there. I'm going to come back to that, okay? Verses 7 through 11, you may want to bracket that. Verses 7 through 11 is God speaking in Scripture. This is the means of redemption. This is God speaking to His chosen ones, those who are saved. And then I kind of broke out verses 12 through 14, and I wrote down here God speaking in the heart, and actually, more likely, it's a response of David back. And so, there's actually only two revelations of God, general and specific, but this is the heart coming back to him. Okay. Now, when David wrote it, I don't know. I tell you what I picture in my mind, he's out on some Judean hillside. It's late at night with a clear night. Probably a cool a cool breeze. He is watching his father's sheep. He looks up and he sees all the constellations. Even back then they had names of them. So he looks up and he sees all these stars, perhaps he sees all these constellations, and all of a sudden, God Slams them. God impresses them. He begins to see that the stars are screaming the glory of God without nary a word. Now let me tell you how I want to handle these six verses. As I work through it, I just begin to write down some observations. Okay? Now they're not random, they're kind of script verse by verse. But I want to give you four observations that I gathered from the text. And then I want to close with something that I believe is very important. In fact, I believe it actually makes Christmas very, very important to the church of Jesus Christ. Okay? So we're going to deal with some observations and then try to be very challenging at the end. Observation number one, if you look at verse one, the first thing I jotted down was this, God's creation is an unmistakable witness of God himself. God's creation is an unmistakable witness of God. Verse 1 tells us that the heavens are telling. The word telling means screaming. The heavens are screaming. The expanse is declaring. That means to explain very clearly. And so what David is wanting us to know from the very beginning is that, that the sky above lets everyone know that there is a God that they should seek after. Now, gang, listen, that immediately strikes at the head of the intellectual and immediately strikes at the heart of the rebellious. You know, I'm amazed at those who seem to be intellectually gifted. They argue against God and they quickly discard God. They try to argue against God. And yet in their intellectual arguments, they never really study things out objectively. They they never argue objectively. I mean, you would think that the intellectual approach would be to study all the positions, make an intelligent decision if that were to be possible, and yet we find that they're intellectually ignorant. They won't even explore object reason. All the while, the heavens are screaming And explaining the glory and the presence of Almighty God. Let me tell you what that tells you. That tells you that every one of your friends and family, every one of your associates, that really have no desire for God, no desire to be holy and righteous and to worship God and to serve God and to be affiliated with some kind of a Bible-believing church, every one of those have rejected the obvious witness of God that's screaming Him to us. Do you understand the heaviness and the burden of that, do you? Your friends, your family are rejecting God's clear revelation and that's dangerous the second observation I wrote down is that God's creation reveals knowledge again that's important studying the sky creation not just the stars but creation its here the way David wrote it the stars brings discernment and it does it with nary a word in other words When man stands before God, man's not going to be able to stand before God and say, I'm ignorant, I don't know, I never heard. Yes, man has enough knowledge of God that it condemns him in his sin, you see. It makes man responsible. It makes man accountable. Now, I want you to notice in verse 2 and 3 the tension of the psalmist, David, here. Verse 2, heaven's gush speech, literally, gushing it. Declares knowledge yet, verse 3, no speech, no words, no voice. Hmm? You see the tension there? Perhaps it takes more than ears to hear. Perhaps it takes more than eyes to see. But it's there nonetheless. The third thing I I wrote down, and if you look at verse 5, the third thing that really grabbed hold of me is this. God's creation should rejoice the heart. God's creation should celebrate life because it tells us that God is the giver of life. Life is a gift from God. Enjoy it. Look at verse 5. I I think verse 5 is absolutely incredible. A bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Let me tell you, that's not because he's decked out in his bride clothes or his wedding clothes. It's not that he's strutting his stuff. This is the happiest day of his life. We live in a culture that doesn't celebrate marriage. We live in a culture that doesn't celebrate the, the purity of a, of a man and a woman until that night, you see. But those of us who waited, those of us who disciplined ourselves, we understand what it's like on that night. And it's no better feeling at all. It's the grandest, happiest day of his life when he gives himself in purity to that one he loves. It's his greatest day. It's like a runner after exerting his best, giving all that he has, and finishing the race. Doesn't mean he's won the race. I watch the Tour de France every July, and listen, those folks that, that went that, that finished the Tour, they're happy they finished. Because they've done their best. And that's what this knowledge of God does for people. The existence of creation tells us there is a creator. creator. And this creator is bigger than better than us. Rejoice. He's stronger and smarter than us. Rejoice. He's real and more righteous than us. Oh, people, rejoice. God's creation should rejoice the heart in the grandest expression of our lives. And if you can't, then you've let something interfere. You've let the busyness of Christmas interfere with the explosion of grace. If you're upset about certain things that hasn't happened the way you want it to happen, then shame on you. Because that stuff's not important. What's important is that God, in the fulfillment of his time when he thought it was just right, he sent his only Son. He gave himself to us. And he gave us the knowledge of him every time you walk outside your house. And it ought to thrill your soul. Now there's a, a, a fourth observation. And you'll have to look at verse 4, 5, and 6, kind of look at it as I talk through this for a moment general revelation creation is a universal display of the existence of god let me tell you the stars the moon all of god's common grace scream the exist it is god on display i don't i and ladies you'll have trouble connecting to this if guys if you're not a hunter you won't be able to probably connect either but I won't tell you what I do. I, I you know, it doesn't even get light enough to hardly see till about 6.30. You really can't even shoot till about 7, something like that. But I always make it a point that when I can go hunting, I get on my stand at 6 in the morning. I walk in with a headlight, it's dark 30, you know. And the reason I do it isn't to, so I don't disturb deer or get there before they wake up or anything like that. The reason I do it is because I want to be sitting on my stand looking up when the sun comes out of its tent. That's what, is it that verse 4? See? I want to be able to be there and worship this God who has chosen to give me a measure of himself. As that, tent, as that sun comes out of the tent, it begins to push away the darkness. And all of a sudden, the things I can't see, I begin to see. Because it's God showing himself to Tom Williams. Let me give you a verse. You don't have time to look there, but, but listen to Isaiah 40, verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. And then Isaiah writes, Not one of them is missing. You see, beloved, the revelation of God in creation is constant. It's consistent. It's always there. The revelation of God in creation is complete. He didn't miss a one. And he's got every star by name. It's also should be convincing to us, certainly convicting to us, that means that every man, everywhere, should seek after God. you remember in the book of Acts, Paul, it was his second missionary journey. And he goes to this place of intellectual heathenism, a place called Athens. And he confronts the epic and the Stoic philosophers there. In the course of his discussion, as he's reasoning and and all that with him, here's what he says. The God who made the world needs nothing. That's the self-sufficiency of God, okay? Needs nothing. He himself gives life to all. We should seek him because he's not far. People, look up. Creation, scream the existence of God. It puts God on display. So that leads me to one final statement. While God's general revelation, and while God's common grace cannot say, that takes special revelation, beginning verse 7, we'll deal with next week, okay? General revelation does make all men accountable to God. You hear me? General revelation. The common grace of God makes all men your mommy and your daddy and your grandma and your grandpa and your son and your daughter makes all your friends your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren makes all of them accountable to God for their sin and their knowledge of God, which many of them have suppressed, Romans 1 says, are outright rejected, Romans 1 tells us. In fact, Paul said in Romans 1, the knowledge of God is evident within every person and the creation of the world shows God's invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, That through what has been created eliminates any excuses from man. Look at verse 4. Their utterances to the end of the what? World. Before that, their line has gone out through all the what? The earth. Now listen to me, and I'll be through. Universal knowledge of God brings universal responsibility to man. Every person, even if they have never heard the name Jesus, is guilty because creation screams the glory of God. By the way, that's one reason why your neighbors need to see the gospel in your life. That's why your neighbors need to hear the gospel on your lips. That's why your neighbors need to see you getting up on Sunday morning when you're tired after a hard work and you go to God's house. That's why they need to be invited to church, you see. Because a lost, dying world is responsible for the knowledge that every man has Beloved, we have the answer to this lack of rejection or suppression of knowledge. And that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have to tell you, I wish we'd get off of and get far beyond all this stuff that people say we don't do as a church or that they don't do as a church or why don't we do this, why don't we do what that one does. I'll tell you, if we cared more about the lost as much as we do about this junk, that we get so caught up in, maybe we would see a revival in our communities, you think? Huh? See? The heavens are declaring the glory of God. Therefore, every man is accountable and responsible to God. Why in the world would a church set $40,000 as a Lottie Moon? Christmas offering goal and I challenge you to give to that like you've never given before or given to anybody else. Why would I do that? Why would a church like Indian Springs this next week help a group of young people spend a couple weeks in Africa sharing the gospel through song and might even not make it back for Christmas? Why would we invest in that? huh? Why would we send out three teams next year overseas to help Break through the darkness of a nation to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why would we work with our association next year in several different projects across this land trying to get the gospel of the Lord Jesus out? Why would we collect over 200 shoeboxes? Why would we do everything else we've done? and Why would we do everything else we're going to do this next year? Because creation, dear people, screams that there is a God. And that man should seek him. And if they don't, they will die in their sin. And we have the answer. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what grace does. That's why we have Christmas. That's why, I think maybe, God chose to reveal himself. That's why I think... It's an explosion of grace. I want to give you an assignment for your family this year. Take your spouse. Take your children. If you're blessed with grandchildren, take them outside. Look up. Take them out on a clear day. Look up. Listen real carefully. And you will hear the stars screaming the glory of God. And you'll never hear one word being spoken. The heavens are telling the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard, but they're singing, people. Oh, they're singing. They're singing that only the ears of the spiritual and only the eyes of the spiritual can see. That's God's common revelation. That's God's common grace. Next week, we begin to explore God's special grace, his special revelation that he gives to his children to worship and serve. Let's pray together. okay? Barb, would you come for a moment? I just want us to, maybe you have a decision, don't know. Um, Sure would be good to take a moment and just think about God intervening, God exploding himself into our world. I'm going to pray, and we'll stand. Barbara will play, and if you need to come, I invite you to, to come and do your business with God. Father, I thank you that you chose to show us who you are. Help us to respond the right way. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together, please. God would do that for us. How should we respond to that? Hmm? How would you like to respond to this great explosion of God into our world? What does it mean to you today? How could it change your life? Thanks for coming this morning. We'll have Sunday school in just a few moments.